and so today we're going to look at a, a, a familiar story from the Gospels, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. But I want us to look at it in a um, with the lens of culture, um, where we are today, versus how it traditionally is looked at from the idea of you know, are you a scribe? Are you a Pharisee? Are you the lawyer? Are you the, the rejected one who goes over and helps the wounded one? And typically that's how it is applied to us. But I wanted us to, and as I was reading the, the story this week and, I, and it just, it hit me like a two by four beside the head. The, uh, the idea that the one who's wounded in the street are these people who are misguided and misled right now. And that these, Lawyers and Pharisees are the people who are propagating these lies to these people, and they they have a problem, they have an issue, but they're being fed lies for a solution. And then we, the community of Christ, should be that one who will hesitate in our schedule, who will go over and engage with this person, investigate and see how are they doing and what's wrong with them? How can I help? And then we take and give of ourselves, like the Samaritan did, to to take your time, take your money, to invest your life in this person, to try and um, heal up their wounds, to bind them up, to give them what they need, the, the oil and the wine of Christianity, you know, the forgiveness that we receive in communion and then the empowering of the Holy Spirit we see in the oil, and for us to do that in the lives of these people. So, um, so we're going to jump into that today. And... I I did send one out this morning. Yes, sir. I I sent out two things this morning. The first one was a, which I don't know if it's true or not, but there was a, a, a someone, a friend of mine, sent me a short video of a church. I think it was maybe in England that's all lit up in the pride colors, and then a few minutes later, it's struck by lightning and burns to the ground. <laughs> so <laughs> it looked pretty real to me. I, I don't know. So there's famously the ELCA voted, I don't know if you know about this, but this is this historical fact I've seen this. They voted to um, ordain homosexuals as ministers at one of their big synods. And within an hour of that vote, a storm came, I think it was in Chicago, it was a big city in the Midwest, came through, lightning struck the, the steeple of the church where they were meeting to vote after they voted. I mean, it was, it, and that's true. I've seen that. It's true. It's, it's amazing. Um so, beg your pardon. Um, it was it was probably, it was a Midwest, somewhere in the Midwest. Maybe it was in Massachusetts. Yes. The Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, when they decided to ordain homosexuals, I heard about that as well. That. Uh, Within one hour, you know, uh, something happened to the cross. Yeah, yeah, that is that is another. Well, that, maybe that's the one that I saw this morning. Maybe that was in Massachusetts. I didn't see it. It was like one of those little YouTube shorts, but uh, I didn't, I didn't see that. So, yes, ma'am. You're talking about fear. There's there is so much fear. There's a lot of fear out there. Christians, uh, we have friends that are going to church. After you know all of this, right. and there's no other church, mm-hmm. and the the fear that the the country and everything you know has put in them, they're afraid to leave their house, but yet they go grocery shopping. Yeah. You know, that. 
Don't you think, though, that this is not a fear that the country has put on them? This is a fear that they've internalized themselves. When And this is, our, I think, our job in the church to be strong and say, yeah, there's a lot of, there's actually a song. Maybe somebody knows that we need the younger kids. There's a lot of fear, but there's a whole lot more power. That we have the power. And when the church acts like that, this is the worst. That's why when COVID came, to me, as elders, we would talk. I said, we're the last place that should shut down. We're full of we're full of faith. We're faith people, not fear people. Now we have to be prudent. There's prudence, you know. If there's if there's a whole bunch of armed enemies outside your church, folks, we're not meeting there today. We're going across the street to another place. But but if it's a thing that that's mysterious and we don't even know, after a little while, the church has to be overcome spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what we have to do. And we don't like to talk about it that way. So they have chosen to do this and they've succumbed to the spiritual wickedness and darkness that Matthew's teaching about. That's what's happening. This is not about, oh, I'm going to blame the government or I'm going to blame this. No, you, you, you need to look here first and say, what is causing you to be afraid to go to church? One, you either don't believe it's a place where you should be, or two, you're looking for excuses or you're letting fear rule your life. Yeah, those are all very valid points. So I heard someone describe it like this, that there is a. Um, it's kind of like when you when you when you you have a, a meal, you cook, let's say you cook spaghetti and you're washing all the pots and you drain the sink. And there's this film of like this red, greasy film that's still in the sink. And that's really what is, is saturated culture is even though the drain and the plug has been pulled and the covert is over, um, there's still this residue that's still there and it's still kind of in everything that we're doing. And you see these reminders of it. I mean, and, um, yes, sir. I think we have to look at ourselves and somebody might start throwing things at me, but look at all of the cameras we put up in this congregation to make sure that nobody gets any place. We had a Bible study and uh, it started at, at maybe 8 o'clock and uh, at 8.15 uh, somebody not by name locked the front door. And I said what are you locking the front door for? So nobody can get in. Well what about somebody coming late to Bible class? They won't be able to get in. Oh well yeah but we want to protect ourselves. So I'm wondering you know, is that uh, common sense? Or is it fear? That's and a good question. Well, you know, considering, yeah, so well, I mean, considering where we are, I mean, this is Charleston. I mean, this is where the Emmanuel Nine were murdered in their church at a Bible study. So, um, so we, and there are enemies of satanic forces in America seek to attack uh, believers. I mean, you think about that little church downtown, they took out the best of the best of that congregation. I mean, those are the, the people that show up on a, in the middle of the week for a Bible study at night. Those are the ones that are the core of your of your faith in a church. And they were just wiped out. Um, so you have to be prudent. I understand what you're saying. Um, I think the issue is rather that you're um, are you is fear preventing you from showing up to worship? Um, how about this one? Is fear preventing you from engaging in conversations, which is my 
whole motivation is doing is to motivate you to feel equipped to engage in conversation with people presenting the gospel because really it comes down to present the gospel to these people you don't have to debate them about um, the morality or the what's ethical or what's logical when it comes to any of these issues about uh, sexuality you just present the gospel and it will naturally bring them to where they need to be in realizing what's going on um, did you have something to say, Anna? Okay. All right. I, I saw you do one of these. So it's an open discussion. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, in our previous congregation, our pastor is talking to the doctor in the congregation. Yes. Listen to them. Right. Right. How long and whatever. And so, you know, you got, yeah. So let me, so, so, yeah. So, I mean, okay. So, so the reality is um, we're in a, we live in a, a country that is free. And I use those words very loosely today, free. Um, and our freedom is guarded and protected by institutions, which have been set in place and set up to guard and protect our freedoms. So when we enter a situation like we did in 2020, we look to those institutions and these people to be the gatekeepers of not just our freedom, but our good health. And what the issue is, is that looking back in hindsight, we realize, I realize what happened. We had the most successful psychological warfare operation ever in the history of the world waged upon the United States of America, it decimated our economy, it divided our population, it made us question our our entire elections, everything about our society, and it tore away the foundations by which we believe that, well, no, this institution will protect us. This one will do what's right. These people are honest. And now we've seen all this stuff. It's like, y'all are just a bunch of liars. Y'all knew the truth at the time, and you didn't reveal it to people for whatever your motivation was. That's a whole different discussion. But now here's the reality. This church will never shut down again, ever. I mean, they will, I don't, I don't foresee the situation that would allow us to, for this church ever to shut down again. And I think there are multiple churches across America that feel the same way. You know, fool me once, fool me twice, that ain't happening. And so that's, that, that's where I think we are. So in some cases, we're learning from that. So right now we're still engaged in this, um, this total warfare on America. And right now it's showing up in the, in the, in the culture. And this continuation of dividing and pitting us against each other. And the only way we're going to win this is if we approach with the truth of the gospel. It's the only thing that's going to do this. Because like you're saying, there's a demonic uh, spiritual thing going on here. And these people are deceived and they're, they're blinded to truth and reality. So, yes, sir. On an individual, personal level. Yes, sir. I'm reminded of. I won't say this quote too well, but I'm going to try. The the coward dies a thousand deaths, the value dies but once. Yes. And so if we walk around in fear, if we personally have this intimidation upon us and stuff, we are dying a thousand deaths along the way, along the way. And so, and I don't believe that the Lord nor his word speaks to us having to walk around in fear like that. No, fear, fears of the enemy. You know, um, it's funny that 
but we would go backwards now. We're, we're going back two and a half, three years. Yeah. But I was listening to a comedian on the way here, and his bit was when he got COVID, and he got it seriously, and he went to the hospital, and then he went through this whole thing about the doctor not really knowing what was wrong, how long he'd be there, oh, I can't release you. I was going to release you, but then the guy I released yesterday, he died. Now I don't want to release you because if I release you and then you get sick again, you won't get back in because there's no beds. And so I forgot how, how, how real this thing was. Then he said, well, when I go home, what he said, well, I recommend you quarantine. And he said, for how many days? Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. You had to quarantine yourself. Or a whole week or two, two weeks. The guy said, "Well, it, it was a comedy." He said, "He said I asked the doctor how long, and he said twenty-two days." Well, it was a joke, but that's what they did. They made up a number. Yeah, they just made up a number, and then we went, "Okay." Well, he went home, and then more of the comedy routine was his wife had a three-year-old and a two-month-old. He said, but I'm just sitting in bed getting food delivered to me in my room. This was like great. He said, I was like a husband in the 50s. <laughs> that, that's a joke. About 1950 in America, wives actually thought they told the kids to get out of the house at dinner time. Dads come home from a long day of work, you know. But but it was a joke. But I had forgotten the quarantines. And and I know from for, for real said work. If you remember, if you thought you had it, you told your boss, I think I've got COVID, and you went home for two weeks paid. Paid. You didn't even know if you had it. We didn't have the testing sites up. So what do you think? Everybody left work and went home and got paid. This was all. My daughter's a teacher, and if one little kid felt sick, and all four kids around him had to go home too. And then we put glass partitions up in front of kids. I mean, I can't even remember those glass partitions. Whole schools went where they put plastic up around desks. And we started not even thinking about this in South Carolina after about a year and a half. And our governor, luckily, not luckily, providentially or whatever, stood up right away and said, we will never shut down churches. That's your business. From the beginning, churches are on their own on this. But I have a responsibility to institutions and things that I run to be more prudent because government by nature is very, very um, afraid to make a mistake. That's, that's the nature of government. That's why they can't get anything done. They're afraid to make a mistake. People in the church should be the opposite for there's nothing formed that can come against us. There's no, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and call according to purpose. We know God might might punish us or discipline us if something if we do something really dumb, but we know He still loves us. And if we go back and repent, He's going to take care of us. We're we're at the opposite end of that the, the government doing this thing. Mm-hmm. But we're back to that. What was prudent when things happen? You pray. You make a decision as a family, and there are mitigating things you can do. You can still lock the doors and have an immediate, you know, hey, you can look right at us and see something. You go, hey, guys, I'm at the front door. If people are busting into churches all over the place. But the truth is we've allowed one incident to affect 
millions and millions and millions of things. And that's that's irrational. That's not even rational. Sir. Yep, there is a, so um, they're going to start church today at about 11.15. Um, We've still got 14 pages of notes to get through. (laughs) When I haven't started. Why don't we say a prayer? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Saucer eyes. (laughs) Father, we are grateful for um, this day and our church and this body of believers you call together. Help us now, Lord, as we go through your word to... Let your Holy Spirit reveal to us the truths we need to see in our lives and where we need to take action and reach out and be bold and speak the gospel into hurting lives. Be with us now. Let your spirit rule through me and reign in these words. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So we are in page one. Sentence one. Sentence one. First word word is Luke. Yeah. Luke chapter 10. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Luke 10, 25 to 30. So I'm just going to read through it, then we'll pull it apart. Um, And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem, verse 30, to Jericho. And he encountered robbers who stripped him of his clothes and belongings, beat him, and went on their way unconcerned, leaving him half dead. Now, by coincidence, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also came down to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, a foreigner, who was traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was deeply moved with compassion for him. And he went to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them to soothe and disinfect the injuries. And he put on him on his own pack animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, two days wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when uh, to you when I return. Which of these, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers. And he answered, this is the Levite, the one who's trying to justify himself in the face of the law. He said this, the the one who showed compassion and mercy to him. And then Jesus said to him, go and constantly do the same. So just as the agents of Satan attack and wound and leave people near death in the story of Jesus that tells us today, our cultural gatekeepers are doing the same thing. They take these young people and they're going through life and they um, psychologically attack their personal identity. They poison their minds with lies of false theology and then they wound them mentally. They rob them of their full potential for the adventure of life. They desire, this is really the sick part, they desire to physically maim them. And the statistics are in for the ones who fall prey to their attacks they are more likely to die than their peers, usually by suicide. And there's a footnote on that. I'm not making any of this up. Your, half your notes are footnotes today. Who will be the good Samaritan to that person? The one who refuses to approach the wounded on the side of the road? The one with too many important tasks in life to engage in that you can't stop and check to see if the wounded one needs help? The one who is prepared and equipped 
and willing to give what is necessary to bring this wounded one from the brink of death, not just death, eternal death is what we're talking about here in our case, and help them find Jesus and help them hear his gospel so that they can experience redemption and reconciliation and they can find meaning and purpose in their life. That's the ones we are supposed to be. Now, if you look at verse 25 of this story, Jesus begins with the very particular word. He begins with this, a certain lawyer. Now, when you read uh, Jesus speak of a certain person, you should understand that what you're reading is not a parable. What you're reading is a story Jesus is telling about someone he knows. Okay, so it makes me believe that the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan is not a parable. It's a recounting of something that actually happened to people. And my suspicion is that in the audience where Jesus is telling this story, the Pharisee and the Levite who experienced this are sitting in the audience. This is just me. And they're going, ooh, I do remember doing this. I came down this road and I saw this person. That's just me as I as I hear this story. So in verse 25, notice that the person is wanting to prove their morality. So it says that they are testing Jesus to establish that they are more moral than Jesus. Um, and the American Standard Version puts it like this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up. And made trial of him, talking about Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So there's two things. Okay, first off, um, this is where American Christianity is today. You, me, we, the church in America, we are on trial. In the court of public opinion, in the hearts and minds of people. And what they're wondering is they're looking to us for a place, for a group of people who will stand up to the insanity that is going on around us in our country and declare truth and common sense. Now, those who are falling for this nonsense and are in this deep need of someone to come along and say, hey, I I know you're confused. I know you have trouble. I know life is difficult for you, but I think you got this all wrong. Here's another way to look at it. Can we have a conversation? I want to tell you what I found in my life that was worked for me. And that's how you begin a point of engagement with a person to have that conversation that introduces them to Jesus, that confronts some of the lies in their life. It's not that we come at people with a Bible, we hit them over the head and say, you're dying and going to hell and your, your homosexuality is going to kill you and that pride button needs to burn a hole through your soul. That's not the approach we need to have, okay? We need to be engaging with people in um, in in culture. And for those among you who would say they don't want to be political and that all these cultural issues are just political issues and Christians should do their best to stay out of the way. I have a question for you. Is it that you don't want to be political or is it that you don't want to be biblical? Because the heart of the matter is this is a biblical issue. This is not a political issue. All of the, we talked about it. I talked about it last week. All these issues we face in culture go back to the first 11 chapters of the Bible. It's all in Genesis. And Genesis chapter one is very clear on identity, gender, sexuality, marriage. There is no question in scripture about where God stands on these and the purposes behind them. As much as confusion has entered, allowed to been entered into churches and everything. Secondly, this is not what we see in American culture today. Is it not what we see in American culture today? Think about those who deny the tenets of biblical, traditional morality as written in the Bible. 
they are establishing their own standard of acceptable morality. So God gave Moses the big 10, right, on Mount Sinai, the 10 commandments. And um, they are in harmony with each of us personally, our morality, each person. Even if you are, um, you know, the Bible says that even before the law was given, people knew what was right and wrong. Because you're conscious that morality that God wove inside of you says, you know, I really shouldn't have stolen that thing from that person. I really shouldn't have said that thing to that person. I really shouldn't have cheated on my wife. I shouldn't have killed that person. All those things wage in our conscience because God has put that in us. And so in Romans chapter 5, uh, 13 to 21, we talked about it last week, that the absence of the written law did not dilute the effect of sin on the person. And shame and guilt still come to you even when you do not have the law to explain why it's coming. So ask yourself these questions. What is my task? What is my purpose? Your task should be the rescuing of souls. And your purpose should be the growth of believers inside their faith, equipping and encouraging them, making them know that they are or they are qualified to share their faith, to share the gospel, equipping them with the information to answer the legitimate questions that people and culture will bring to us as we ask and talk about the gospel. So Jesus used to do this. Jesus would find something he could agree with his audience. And I would encourage us to do the same thing. We can find something, some area where we can agree with whoever the person is, no matter how they may appear on the surface when we meet them, or, or, or how repulsive maybe by something they've said, there has to be some area of common ground where we can engage with them and have a, a footing to stand on. And then you can go from there. Um, so here's one for you. A simple question that you could pose to somebody. Let's say you're getting your hair cut this week. All right. You've got a moment with somebody where you're, you're interacting and you could ask them this question. Do you believe in a spiritual reality? Do you believe in a spiritual reality? So think about that. Um, there are, and there is this constant struggle in life between the spiritual and the material in our lives, in our worlds. And the material is always um, alluding to the spiritual. And the spiritual is always explaining the material. But the material truly seeks to silence the spiritual. That's the greatest lie Satan ever convinced people to believe, right? That he does not exist. The, uh, the Sadducees, they denied the spiritual world. They denied the resurrection. They denied the existence of angels. They therefore denied the existence of Satan. And, and the, you know, the art of war tells us that if you don't know your enemy, you're never going to win the battle. So um, spiritual beings is who we are. And we want truth and understanding in the material world that we observe. And so we can help people synthesize that through the Bible. We can help them explain what they're seeing around them and give them a logical understanding and make it reasonable and lead them to the gospel of Christ. Um, you know, without the, we talked earlier about fear and issues we have and, and things that are very legitimate in our lives, you know, whether it's a, a doctor's report or you got to go get a test or, you know, someone has died in your family, there's a struggle you have personally or financially, all those things. Remember, our future promise of spiritual experience with God is one of the things that gives us the ability to carry on, to go on to the next moment, the next day, the next task. Remember the words of Jesus, today you shall be with me in paradise. 
And that's a promise he's going to take us to heaven with him. And there's also uh, uh, there's also the warning that Jesus gave against spiritual destruction, which is important for us to reveal to these people as we engage with them. Um, and it's the, the 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 things that we see in this world will go away. Now, here's here's one you can really um, I think would be a good platform for engaging in conversation with people. Um, the word justice. Um, I think that's a particular point of common ground because God, if you think about it, God is the author of justice. Uh, God is the one, he's the assuring agent of ultimate justice, right? The Bible tells us there are no unsolved mysteries, no unsolved murders in heaven. The, the You know, God at the first murder came to Cain and said, your brother's blood's crying out to me from the ground. So God's not uh, lost with the whodunits. He know who did it. And he knows exactly how to bring them to justice. Yes, sir. Uh, um, that word's been abused pretty bad over history. And there's a lot of things that have been done in the name of justice that were just outright evil. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. For us today and where we are with culture, um, the word justice has um, added another concept to it. So we as believers should not shy away from the concept of discussions about justice. We just need to bring truth and clarity to the hearts of these people in their minds who are obsessed with social justice. And that's the term we hear today. All those alphabet things that, that swirl around business and corporations and media, all of those are premised on the idea of social justice, that justice has not been reached and permeated through society. And so we're going to be the agents of social justice. And here's how we're going to do it. we got a program and we got these rules and you're going to obey these rules and then you're going to get there. So that's another point you can do. So go ahead and tell them. I can go ahead and tell them that these people who seek social justice, none of the remedies are going to work. No matter what they do, no matter who they eliminate from the discussion, from the marketplace, from life, none of those are going to work because I know the author of justice. The only way you find justice is with Jesus and Jesus is nowhere in their plans. So none of their stuff will ever work. Um, we did not get to it last week in our session, but it was in your notes uh, regarding the pattern of sin and shame and blame shifting and regrets and the initial steps. Yes, sir. Last question. I'm going to let you answer. Yeah. We don't find justice in Jesus per se. We find mercy so that justice might be taken care of. I'll let you. Yeah. And so, and so that's the, that really is the. Yeah, that's a comment. Yeah, that's, that's a good comment. And there's a, there's an answer to the trap that will, that we're going to get into that will address that because uh, I've got a, a, a loaded question for you in a couple of verses. Did Jesus get something wrong? And immediately everybody goes, well, no, Jesus couldn't have gotten it wrong. So then we got to unwind this riddle and figure out what, what the truth is here, right? So no, you're exactly right. Those who seek justice when they come to reality will know that justice is not what you want because justice is painful because we all deserve death and separation and eternal uh, uh, punishment from God for our sins. So the justice of God is satisfied in Jesus. And that's where we experience reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness. And so that's really the answer is that all this. Uh, and so then the social justice model is based on the idea of revenge 
of a binging something and we're going to make it right. And I'm going to equal this thing out. And I'm going to take what's mine because I've been done wrong for so and my parents and my generation. And, and so that's just a never ending cycle of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And, and Jesus says, you're never going to get it like that. You've got to have someone step in and end it. And I'm that person who steps in and takes the justice of God so that you can experience forgiveness and reconciliation with God and you can have a relationship with him. So um, I've included those points in your notes or at the bottom of your notes. so You can go through those they are very powerful. They're all based in scripture. Um, so today, our culture is odds with traditional morality because they are trying to invent a new morality and they want to make themselves morally superior to Jesus and his followers, which would be the us. And now in the modern American culture, morality is not um, it's not enough just to say marriage between a man and a tree is wrong. And you think I'm using that as some crazy example. It's in your footnotes. That happens in the world today. It, or to say that children can't have sex with adults. That's in your footnotes today. That's the thing they're pushing right now. It's really, it's sad. It's there. Um, it's out there. They're called MAPS, Minor Attracted Persons. They've, that's the new thing at the end of the LGBTQ is now they add MAP to that, which covers pedophilia. And they have categories within it all the way down to infants, people who, who are sexually attracted to infants. And we need to just protect and understand these people. Or you may say you can kill your babies before they are born and even do and even do it after they're born. And there's a footnote for that. The governor of Virginia advocated for that to kill children after botched abortions, that you should be allowed to do that. Um, the Democrat governor, the previous one, not the current one. Um, and you can do all these bad things and you will still be more morally equal and better than Jesus because you are morally superior because you have adopted and embraced the new morality of social justice. So, and you know the right pronouns and you can say all that. Now, um, sadly, these ideas have permeated even the shelter of our churches today. Um, and so now we see pastors and denominations embrace the pride banner. And even um, sadly, our own thriving financial has embraced pride. And um, we, as a church, will be faced with making a decision about that in the coming weeks. Um, it's really sad. But it made me think of what Peter said in Second Peter chapter 2, 13 through 15, being destined to receive punishment as a reward of their uh, unrighteousness, suffering wrong as for the higher of their wrongdoing. They count it a delight to revel in the daytime, living luxuriously and decadently. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions and carousing together. Can we say pride parade? Even as they feast with you, they have eyes full of harlotry, insatiable for sin. They beguile and bait and allure away unstable souls. And that's what a culture is doing today, sadly, in public schools and in churches. And then their hearts are trained in covetousness, which is what Thrivent gave into. Thrivent gave into the money. If we open ourselves up to the pride thing, we can get more don't, more people can do business with us. And so they've done that. And that's lust and greed. And they are children of a curse, exposed to cursing, forsaking the straight road. They've gone astray. And what does he say? They have followed the way of Balaam. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, the donkey donkey, the son of Beor, who loved the reward of wickedness. And that's what they've done. So there's also another thing in your notes, those who've been infected with the woke mind virus. I don't know if you've heard that phrase. You ever heard that? The woke mind virus? You've now heard it. You know what woke is? So woke mind virus. I credit Elon Musk with that phrase. 
um, that's in your notes, there is a whole, there's a, there's seven things that you can look at to see, does this person have the woke mind virus? There is a new standard of morality is completely bypasses all the true morality of culture. And, um, and they do it. I would just tell you quickly what it says that if you know someone who is, uh, is, is absolute unwavering and smugness, they lack introspection, their quickness to anger, nihilistic atheism, dishonesty, self-absorbed and depression with low self-worth and anxiety. And each of those points uh, break out and expound on that, that that's somebody who has a, they have a woke mind virus. They're under demonic uh, oppression, possession, and control, and they need rescue. And Jesus and the gospel is the only thing that can break them out of that. So they've made up this completely new standard of morality. Um, and then, so in verse 25, the, did someone speak? Yes. Yes, ma'am. I would really like to be ignorant. Wouldn't it? Blissfully ignorant would be great, wouldn't it? You know? I don't even have to try harder than there. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Mr. Roy. He doesn't even struggle to achieve ignorance. He's there. You'd rather not know these things are happening, is what you're saying. Yeah. I know. You know if, um, I don't know. You know, when you're afraid for your grandkids, you're afraid. You should be. Kids. You should you be. Know? This should motivate you. That, that's the fear again. And you, you need to be in the Bible. So, yeah. So, so, it's, so, so let's, let's take the word fear. And that's a, that's a natural place to go to. All right. Because you see, you know, the country's going to hell in a handbasket and nobody's pu- pushing on the brakes or pressing the accelerator. Right. It's all coming undone and unwound at the seams and you see it and you feel powerless to do anything about it. Right. Okay. That's exactly where Satan wants you to be. Okay. Because he knows you are the most powerful agent to stop what's going on. All right. I will remind you. The, the corporations, I'll remind you again, the corporations across America who have been embraced this whole ideology, this whole new morality, have lost $50 billion this year. You, but, the, but, okay, all right, all right, hold on, but there is, there is, there is, there is, there is, there is an app for that. I'm not kidding you. There's an app. Okay, get out your phone, go to the app store, and um, Public Square is the name of it. Public Square, like you're going to go to the marketplace. Public Square is an app you can download for free, and it will show you businesses in your area or nationally who do not go along with this thinking and promote this. They don't give any of their money towards these things. So if you really want to you know, talk with your wallet, which is really one of the things you need to be doing as believers, we really need to engage in this. It's called Public Square. It's a free app, and you can log into it. But what you're, what you're experiencing, the fear... Um, should be your motivator. Okay. So if you think about, so Eric Metaxas just wrote a book called Letter to the American Church. And he uses the example of Nazi Germany in the 1930s and how that all these things were happening and it was all being published and, and Hitler wasn't being, you know, mysterious about what he wanted to do. He was saying it out in public. So these people aren't mysterious about what they're wanting to do to your kids and your family. And, and they're doing it in some places already. So the question is, what is your response? And so the church in Germany failed because they married with the state and they didn't separate and say, this is wrong. I mean, Bonhoeffer stood up and said, no, this is wrong. I mean, he, he died at their hands, right? Days before the war was over. 
So there were some who did stand up and say, this is wrong. And so this is our, I mean, think about where you are. You get to be the ones who stand up like the French resistance did to the Vichy government when the Nazis took over. You get to be the ones like Bonhoeffer who stand up and say, no, this is wrong. And you, your single little grandma voice is so powerful. You don't know how powerful you are. And that's what the enemy's trying to do. The enemy's going to take, take you think, make you think you're powerless. You are the most powerful agent there is. Um, right, right now across America and Canada, moms and dads, Chris, this is the bizarre part. Christians and Muslims are standing together in the streets, um, but in front of schools and school boards. This is happening in Toronto. And they're saying, you can't do this to my kids. I mean, the, the, they do not realize how far they have overreached um, thinking that they have the day. You know how many transgender people there are in the state of South Carolina? 327. It's, it's less than, it's 300, 200 at the most. You know how many there are across the entire United States? It's like 32,000, 37,000. This, they are not the majority. They had the facade of the majority. Because they have people, they've sold their souls for the money because they're getting the money from, I mean, I'll just clue you in. They're getting the money from BlackRock. BlackRock is a $10 trillion bank across the world. They manage assets in an unimaginable uh, sort of way. And they're the ones who give the money to banks. And the banks give the money to corporations. And they all have agreed that this is their agenda. And if you do not bow at this altar, you do not receive our money. And if you don't have money in business, you don't have business. And that's where we are. So that's like, you know, I we struggle with, well, my bank had a pride flag up. All right. We'll go find a bank that doesn't have a pride section in their, their way they're going to do stuff. You're going to struggle to do that. But here's where you, you, so you can't fight that necessarily by yourself. What you can do though, you can speak into that life that knows you. You can speak into that grandchild that knows you. You can, you can speak that you can send them books and their children books. They have children's books about LGBTQ that they're trying to indoctrinate children into embracing this. Christians have written counter books to that on a child's level to let them know that they are made the image of God, that they, they, they are a boy, they are a girl. They are made with a purpose. And those are those are the realities that we need to have. You had something to say, though. Well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, you know, um, we had this discussion, Pastor, the other night, you know, I look at the grandmas, the folks in the church who they're not, they're not, they, they don't study this constantly. The Matthews and me and maybe some of us in here, because we're learning about it, um, we become the the talk radio people. This is our life. We're just studying this, every little nuance of every little new attack that's coming. And as soon as you learn one, I'll show you 10 more and 75 footnotes on it. Is that what you want to become? I mean, you can, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what what our purpose is to say the what you are in is a spiritual battle. Yes. And the waves of enemies, there is no end. And when you defeat this one, there'll be another one. And while you were defeating this guy over here, the feminism, uh, the 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 bad parts of feminism. Then 
the lesbianism came in. And while we were fighting the lesbianism, the transgender came in. And the devil's just going to continue. And he's, where do I go next? Who do I fight next? So the first thought I had was, and we've said it in here, when the, they teach people how to uh, look at counterfeit bills, you guys know how they do it, right? The Treasury Department. There's thousands and thousands of counterfeit bills. They don't te- try and teach them a thousand bad bills. They teach them to know the good bill so well that whenever they see a counterfeit, they know it. Our job is not to go into our shells. You, you said it yourself. Mm-hmm. Study your Bible, know your stuff, and when you hear a counterfeit, your spiritual and the Holy Spirit will give you help too. Mm-hmm. You go, hmm. Hmm. Matthew, just heard a thing on TV the other day. Oh, and he'll give you 42. So I my my spiritual ears were attuned to that. It sounded not right to me. The other thing is. Who stopped the insanity up in the Virginia school systems? Moms. Moms went to the school board. Not activists. Mm-mm. Not 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 Matthew and I. Mm-mm. Not down there with every fact, everything. Now you got two people fighting facts. It was a mom with common sense who went and said, this is ridiculous. And then when they attacked her, like they would have attacked you because you, yeah. you would have. Well, they arrested her. the father yeah. of the yeah. daughter who yeah. got raped in the schoolroom because they allowed transgender boys right. to go in the bathroom with the girls. Like them. Yeah. But a mom went and said, no. And when they attacked her, 700 moms showed up. And so the moms cannot withdraw from this fight. The grandmas can't withdraw from this fight. And the thought I had was when a father disciplines a young child, maybe you've been there and you don't like the way he's disciplining them. Do you run in and make him the enemy? We're all too old now for this a little bit. You're still there. (laughs) Run in and make him the enemy? Or you make sure what the child did is still the enemy and maybe your technique is not great, but when you tear down him, you break and you sever the, the way that God intended this thing to be disciplined between a mom and a dad. I know dads can be too harsh, but but that's what happens. And and now we're in spiritual political battles, yeah. and we're fighting with each other about a guy who's who's Oh, he's too vehement. He needs to be more loving, and I don't feel as a. There is a thing. Yeah, we have got to recognize what battle we're in here. Yeah. it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And the church has got to be on the same page, saying, "You're a little more passionate than me. You're not more passionate than me." Okay. <laughs> yeah, but people can be. There's, yeah. there's probably somebody out there. Somebody out there. There's somewhere. There. But we're on the same team. And so he's going to know it at one level, but I'm going to know it at the same level spiritually. Mm-hmm. This is wrong. And this is not right. Yeah. And now we're going to go out and even passionate people like us. Mm-hmm. 
I witnessed to a girl the other day, calm as I could be, and said, I mean, don't you sense something's wrong? And she said, I guess something's really wrong, which led into a discussion about the gospel. Yeah. Tatiana, you had something? Yeah, just the, the windshield conversation here. And I see you two men, you are warriors. And you talked about that too, but, 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 but some people, they're still babies in, the, in, in God's, uh, yeah. in Christ. And for them, it's probably too much prayer for them. And what I realized that it's uh, probably we need to talk with them like this, that there are three teachings. Uh, people's teaching, demons, dem- demonic teaching, this is what we see according to the Bible, and Jesus' teaching. And what you have to do, you need to, to, uh, you need to decide who you want to follow. Who, it's like voices, you know? And if Jesus is for you, not only Savior, but also the Lord, the teacher, you, you listen to him. And what you need to do, just each step, do according to his teaching, just each step. That will not be one. Step, right? Yeah, and do yeah. what you have to do. And, you know, and then God will provide everything. He'll protect you. He'll, but do what you have to do right now in your situation. Mm-hmm. Even if it's small. Even if it looks small. And, and that's all. It's, if, if it's too much pressure for you and gives you a lot of fear, how to, to because you shouldn't uh, be the one warrior in one field. Mm-hmm. There are many around you. There are a lot of warriors around you. What you need, you need to do your right decision. That's all. Just do your right decision according to God's word. That's all. Just small baby step. And you'll see if each of us will do this right small baby step. You, you know, we will overcome this darkness. Because the Bible talks about church, that the hell will not overcome. The question that, that started with the girl who was marking the lines, the guy came out to fix my, my um, fiber optics because I cut it again. And so I got to witness to him. He was an agnostic. Nice. We had a nice discussion. He stayed 30 minutes. I kept saying, I know you got to work. He said, no, this is great. And we ended up talking about it. But when you talk to an agnostic, we ended up talking about governments. We talked about Jesus. We talked about the gospel. We t- I mean, I couldn't even tell you the, all the things we talked about in 30 minutes. He said, man, I really, really enjoyed this. Well, a week later, a girl came. She was the one who was supposed to mark the lines. And only this is my, to where, where they... You were you know, not cut? Where I wasn't supposed to cut. And and normally that's my, my wheelhouse. I, I do not let people come to my house without engaging with them. But that's me. I'm, I'm that yeah. lawyer. So I see them coming. I say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Have you lived here long? Trying to find that point of connection. She said, yes. I, I And she rolled her eyes and went, oh, yes, I'm from here. I said, man, you're from here and you don't love it? She goes, and she didn't really have anything in particular. She said, you go to high school here? Yes, went to Somerville. She said, but then I moved to Idaho. Oh, wow, Idaho. Long, 30 minutes later, we were 30 minutes later, and I told her, too, you, you can leave anytime you want. She said, she was saying, 
she was leaving with at least somebody who loved life in the midst of a crazy world. We both agree the world's crazy. And 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 that I, I threw it out there, but we didn't have a long discussion on it. It's a spiritual thing. You can see these things are spiritual. She said, I, I really, they do seem evil. I said, it is because it is evil. And that there was hope. There was hope because God so loved the world. And then we ended up about 10 minutes on Jesus. Neither one of them accepted Jesus, but that's that was just a conversation. Yeah. So we're uh, we're coming down to the final two minute stretch here. So I will say that uh, Tatiana's right, and I hope that encourages you, Rosemary, and everyone else, that our obedience to God is not He delivers and downloads a master plan of thirty five steps that you're going to take to go from here to there. It doesn't always work that way. Usually, it is just one simple thing that God's asking you to do. And sometimes it may seem silly or out of ordinary, but I sometimes will hear God speaking to me saying, um, are you going to this place today? This is the way you should go to get there. And along that way, uh, it always comes to an intersection with someone I did not anticipate or expect. It happened to me twice this week. I saw someone um, that uh, I knew from a long time ago when Hugh was maybe three years old and uh, she had a granddaughter and we met in uh, very unusual circumstances. And then we ended up meeting again when our children uh, started going to uh, Charleston Christian School together in kindergarten. And then I showed up for an appointment this week and I get to the house and I'm wondering, is this the right place? And I pull up and she's parked sitting in the driveway at the house. And I'm thinking, Miss Jenny, this is not your house. What are you doing here? But God had me connect with her because she needed something from me and, and she got it. And, um, the same thing, I got a haircut yesterday, which was not what I expected to do. But in that process, this woman got something from me. She needed a conversation much like what you had. Um, we will get to continue this next week because we didn't get very far with it this week, which is wonderful because it means you're engaged in what you're doing. Um, and I'm going to have to say a prayer because we've got a big full day. We have a new pastor coming, right? Yeah, Pastor Marie and his family. So we're grateful you all here. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we are thankful for your word, for your encouragement, for the wisdom you give us through your word and um, the power you give us through your Holy Spirit. Help us to feel that we are your equipped saints, that you have brought us here for this moment, for such a time as this, that you see in us things we do not see in ourselves. And you know, we have power beyond ourselves because you put power in us to do things we cannot do, but you through Jesus and the Holy Spirit can. In the mighty name of Christ, we ask it to be done. Amen.